Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig, and this is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. So we always start off the the podcast uh, with hot topics, which is our segment where we discuss the hot controversial news of the day. That's true. We don't always do that. That's what we always do. And so the controversy of the day. So I think we should hang some plants in here. That's true. That is a controversy, I suppose. I mean, I, I didn't think really... we should hang plants in this room and the other room. Yeah. Well, I don't think that. I don't like hanging plants because they drip and they kind of get in your way and they're, they're not... I'm not s- like suggesting we hang them suspended from the middle of the room, like the pit and the pendulum where you're going to walk into them all the time. Like... So we have this curtain rod in this room that we don't use because this guy had some kind of alpine theme in here. So we have like those pine cone things further down the window that I just cover up with plants. You see those? Oh, yeah, I see them now. Yeah, I don't know what those things are all about, but we don't, we're not doing the alpine thing in here. So I just put the Diefenbachia in front of that one and then the Chinese evergreen in front of that one. But we can have the curtain rod. You see, if we hung small planters, I'm not suggesting a massive plant. Small plants in interesting looking planters with, you know, sort of macrame holders or something. <coughs> I mean, it, you know, they drip and they're distracting. Distracting? Yeah, because they're right in your vision. <laughs> what are they distracting you from? They just busy you know they're messy (laughs) is this like the equivalent of what happens when you hear two people talking at once and you kind of spurg out yeah it's a similar feeling (laughs) if i had to describe it as an emotion (laughs) there's just too many things to look at and it's just it's just you kind of have a meltdown i don't have a meltdown but it's not pleasant i think so there are three plants in here now is that too many no, three is fine. What I like the plants we have. I don't oppose plants. So I just but don't what like if hanging when we plants. Hang, but what if when I hang those plants, you like them? Because they become part of what you expect out of this milieu in here. I mean, it'll be fine. I'm sure it would be fine. You what know? If, have you, do you know what a succulent is? It's a type of plant. It's a small, low-lying desert plant that doesn't spill over the top of a planter. Like I imagine you're imagining hanging planters have ivy or something in yeah, them. Yeah, awful. But what if it, it's a small, tidy, contained plant that stays within the planter or grows vertically? Well, what's the point of that? They're beautiful. They can be quite beautiful. They have pastel well coloration. Why can't you just put it on a shelf? You Some people do that with succulents. Well, there you go. No, Problem I, solved. I like... It's not that there's no surface in here to put a small plant on. It's I like the hanging style of the planter. I think that they they add a visual element further up the wall. Yeah, up the wall. That's what I'm trying no, to avoid because that's buildings, right where my head is. The ceilings are high, even though there's not much square footage. So you have, like, the room's so high. Like, if you can just, if you cluster all your well, crap around the it's floor. It's high to look you because you're five foot tall. We have to move on to the next topic. <laughs> just, you know, maybe that's the source of the disconnect. What's the next subject? I don't know. You're the hot topics. You. This is your segment. I'm not the hot topics. This is your segment. So, what else? I think the ceilings are objectively high, and I think you're a bitch. 
I mean, I'm not so, trying to define um, what high and high so, isn't. So, uh, uh, also in this week's Hot Topics, uh, there is uh, more news about Trump and Russia, I guess, probably. There's usually... I didn't see anything there's come usually, across. There's usually news about that every week. Did Maybe. you watch this week's episode? I don't think it happened. Maybe it did, but I don't think so. I'm not sure that there was... Oh, no, 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 no. It's that Michael Cohen says he knew about the meeting with the Don Jr. All righty. <laughs> you can add that to your uh, episode recap <laughs> for Bustle. Yeah, that's my take on that. Okay. <laughs> Just, I mean, okay. <laughs> All right, dot text dot JPEG. But, and then there was that like fragment of a tape that sounded like it was from like 1975 because it was like two seconds of tape. Yeah, I didn't even listen to the tape, actually. I don't even know what it was about, paying off a mistress or something again, uh, you know. I read a transcript of the tape. Okay. It was so short. I was like expecting like when you click on a, a page that says like, oh, you know, read the full transcript. I was like the last full transcript I probably read was of like Trump's inauguration speech or one of the speeches from like moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, and then it was just like two lines of text and it's just Trump being like, uh, uh, let's pay, pay someone and Cohen being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they both just say like, good, supreme, incredible to each other a lot. And then that's it. There's like, there's really nothing like, it's like, if anything, Trump looks remarkably consistent in how he speaks in public and behind closed doors. Like he's not pulling one over on the red states. This is just really how he is. Well, that's good. I'm glad he's he sounds the same everywhere. Uh, he's being honest. But uh, big whatever on this week's Trump Russia news, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's just I don't little trickles of it's it's really strange. Days like lost dogs. Like that who was cares? in that was in True Detective. Finish it up. Sorry. Finish it up. Get me all the stuff <laughs> and then just tell me what it is. I don't need a day to day. It's I mean, I don't give me the digest. You know what I mean? Come back in a year and start and write this the whole story. Well, I was saying this on Twitter this week. And I'm not even kidding about this. And I know this is like the kind of speculation that doesn't exactly interest you in terms of politics. But having these long ongoing investigations where you do get these trickles of totally useless information and then like these faux soap opera like climaxes that kind of come with some regularity, like like mid season and season finales. So like, oh, Mueller issued 12 indictments of Russian nationals who realistically were never going to prosecute or do anything to like these are for show. Um, but but like you have these moments of high drama. Oh, we got a tape. Oh, Cohen flipped on Trump and like they're these pivotal moments in the narrative, but then nothing ever actually happens. Right. Consequences for anything are actually not being rendered. You're just kind of participating in this low stakes narrative drama that's panning out with characters from politics and the news. And I think that that's very stressful for people because you feel like high stakes stuff is constantly ratcheting up tension and then releasing tension and then ratcheting up again and you know these are important people and 
the uh, notions like impeachment and, and so on are batted around, but then it all turns out to constantly be this immense tease. But I think it can really mess with you if you have to live with it for a long time. And I think it makes it very, I think it rolls out the red carpet for fascists. I think it makes it absolutely simple for more authoritarian forms of rightist politicians to say, this is weak and ineffectual um, sort of decadent government and it's the furthest right you've got. What you need is further, you know, a serious right government, a real conservative government that's going to put an end to this weak justice system that's going to take out all this corruption that's been infecting even your right party um, and so on and so forth. I think it, I think it makes the, those kinds of pitches very easy. These, these long consequence free show trials just make everything look so rotten. That's just one man's opinion though. I think it's just exhausting to normal people but it's also for people who are really interested and kind of paranoid and like you know whatever i'm definitely both of those things no but you know what i mean like the kind of people who get going on this it's enough to like you know keep them happy and fueled up for their you know frenzy but for it's just it's exhausting you know let me get a get me a and then also the thing is is no one like sort of sums it up <laughs> so like to even piece this together you need to have followed the news on a day-to-day -day basis for six seven months at a time right and pieced it together right. and like be following all these side characters it's not like fall I mean, it's awful I mean it's like you know, I mean, you have these sort of dramas, uh, true crime and that sort of stuff, but that's all the story unfolds and you're done in like 45 minutes. You don't have to follow piece by piece by piece by piece for months and months and months to understand what happened. Um, I mean, I consume more news than most people and I miss, you know, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So well, I think that's part of what makes it so infuriating for your average person is you're told that it's this very high stakes thing that's extremely important, but it's also like kind of semi impossible for anyone with normal news consumption habits to follow. So it's impossible mm -hmm. to get your arms around. And that makes it very tempting, again, just to go for the kind of politician who's saying, you know what, I'm going to eliminate this corrupt crap. I'm going to get rid of all of them and exterminate all the brews. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the impact of it is politically, I, you know, so. That's my concern. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea whether to credit or not credit that theory, but it's, you know, like you said, as far as if your job is to try to communicate things to people and get them to understand what's going on, a thing where you have to read maybe 45 separate stories over the course yeah. of seven months no one there will there's only people in the media can do that <laughs> and i don't know what to do about that because well you know it's news we got new news we got to trickle it out and once it's been out well what can we do are we going to recover it you know uh I, you know i don't know but as right. it is, it's it's a horrible way to get. And I think ultimately it's difficult. It's a difficult story to get people interested in because the stakes are very difficult to describe. It, it It's a situation where if you could say to people, uh, 
we have irrefutable proof that the Russians changed votes or, or, or screwed around with final tallies. They, they changed the outcome of the election. We can prove that. And all we're trying to figure out is, did Trump work with them? Did a sitting president work with this foreign power um, to you know, screw an election? Um, but as it stands, we can't actually say that, right? Because we're not sure that Russian interference actually changed the outcome of the election. Like the effect could have been really small. It could have been smaller than the margin of Trump's win. Um, we really have no idea. There was so much else going on. There was Comey coming out with the letter about the investigation uh, into the emails still going on and, and so on and so forth. So uh, there are so many factors that it's difficult to start peeling them apart and attaching numerical value and, and, even so, you know, then you're saying, well, um, they didn't switch people's votes. Uh, they, they didn't, like, change them once they were uh, cast. They, they used illicit methods to put true information in front of them that persuaded them otherwise. The, the term I used for it was dirty persuasion. Because it's not exactly lying, but it's not exactly licit persuasion. So, I mean, the stakes are really screwy to talk about. So I think you have a difficult time getting people interested in a case where you're like, yeah, we're just trying to prove collusion because it in itself is, is illegal procedurally, um, whether or not it had any substantive impact. And I think people are like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, and, and so I really begin to wonder about the, the actual utilitarian value of pouring all the coverage into Russia the, the Russia scandal. Um, I really, really begin to question that. But but who knows? I might be really off base. Yeah. But I, I feel like we kind of got to follow our own advice on that, though, as well, to some degree. Not try to, you know, spend too much time on it ourselves. Damn. Burning my toast on both sides tonight, Brew. I don't know what that means. It means you're being mean to me. No, I'm not trying to be mean, <laughs> but I mean, you know, <laughs> if we're trying to entertain people, it's sort of I'm weird sorry, to be I'm like, All right. this subject is horribly <laughs> boring to everyone, so let's spend I'm 20 sorry. minutes on it. I'm sorry. It's not been 20 minutes. I don't know. The thing doesn't, it gives no. me bars and okay, beats. Okay, that's difficult. I don't know how long a beat is. Okay, well, so that that's pretty much it for Hot Topics. Uh, I feel like the week was relatively quiet. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything that happened this week. There's sort of a horrible scandal unfolding in the Catholic Church uh, with a cardinal uh, who perpetrated sex abuse it sounds like and there were many people who probably knew and who are still in power and that needs to stop uh yeah I what grinds you what's uh let's have a little cheers and jeers session here how about that how about that cheers and jeers cheers and jeers um so what's something that do you like to jeer? What bugs you? What bugs me? What bugs me from this week? Just, you know, generally. Generally? Well, mm. a lot of things do. Um, 
No, I'll keep it to this week, I guess. Yeah. There were a couple of stories this week that I found a little bit annoying. Um, and I'm not going to go too specific about them, but it's it's about our old friend, the job guarantee. <sighs> and one of the weird things about the job guarantee... I'm going to die on this hill. Is... Just right on it. I'm the only human being who have has read <laughs> the papers. <laughs> I'm one of ten people in the world who's <laughs> done this. <laughs> and that creates a really weird situation because <laughs> I think we talked about this last podcast or maybe two podcasts ago. The take world is its own universe. Yeah. And yeah. so the information in the take world becomes sort of builds like a literature where it's like oh this is what this is and this is what this is and there's no information coming from outside of the take world so the take world it just has its own momentum yeah and so things come to be understood in the take world as true right. when they are not true in reality it has an internal logic yeah. and you can't it's like reading a fantasy novel and you can't jar even as you're like guys let me pour reality into the discourse here let yeah. me let me show you guys this thing that that, that doesn't not effective yeah and so the example of this that uh came up twice this week is this claim the job guarantee is going to uh really challenge employers and and what it's meant to do is um, what it's meant to do is, is make it hard for employers to, to maintain their workforces and that's going to run up wages and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So like an example here is the point of a job guarantee is to make life as difficult and unpleasant as possible for private employers to make them increase pay and benefits whether they want to or not to create permanent labor shortages forcing businesses to hire all comers, et cetera, et cetera. The advocates of job guarantee, when they write their papers about it, do not say this. Mm -hmm. They don't say this. And they actually say the opposite of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what is odd about this claim is not only is it at odds with the reality of what job guarantee advocates who are like writing in academic worlds say about it, but it's also insane on its face. So yeah, I was going to say it's a some. it's a double thing that just is a war is really bad for my mental space. Double jeers. Where it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not only untrue and only has a kind of momentum in the take space, but also clearly false. And so why why is it clearly false? The reason it's clearly false is the way the job guarantee works is you you set a minimum wage, whatever the job guarantee wage is. Yeah. That's the effective minimum wage. It doesn't really matter where you set it, but you're going to set it there. Yeah. Okay? And everyone in the job guarantee, they have to be paid that wage. Yeah. It's sometimes called the buffer stock wage. Yeah. Right? And so imagine for a second, and maybe we could role play this. Okay. In the United States right now, about 2.7% of workers make the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you increased it, that number would go up a little bit, but it actually doesn't go up that much because people who are making 
slightly more than the minimum wage. Right now, they also usually get bumped up because the employers like to preserve, right. you know, the wage structure. Yes. But, okay, so 2.7% of workers, maybe yeah. it would go up to 8 or 9 or 10, yeah. like if it w- was wild, uh, we're making a minimum wage. Okay. So you're a worker who, like almost all the other workers in the country, do not make the minimum wage. Okay. You make, let's say, one and a half times the minimum wage. Okay, you go to your boss and you say, boss man, you refer to him as boss man, because that's what they like. (laughs) You say, if you don't give me a raise, Mm -hmm. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go work for the job guarantee program. Okay, I'm going to say that. Okay, you say that. Boss man, if you don't give me a raise, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go work for the job guarantee program. But the job guarantee program pays minimum wage. You're making one and a half times minimum wage. So if I don't pay you more, you're going to quit and take a 33% pay cut? Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. This raise means so much to me that I'm willing to take a 33% pay cut. That's That's my bargaining chip. Right. So the, the job guarantee could only be used to force up wages to the minimum wage. Right. It'll help people right around the minimum wage, maybe a little bit above it. But the vast majority of people, it's not going to do anything to the employers. In fact, and this is where I say the job guarantee people say the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's going to help employers in those situations. Because let's run, this, let's run the script back again, and okay. I'll show you. This is, honest to God, how it is argued in the papers, not in this sort of dialectical form. Do I say form. the same thing? Yeah, say the same thing. Boss man, if you don't give me a raise, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go work for the job guarantee program. You make what? One and a half times the minimum wage? Yeah. The job guarantee uh, office down the street, you've seen it because apparently you're going to go work for it. Yeah. There are 4,000 people who work there. They're making the minimum wage. Yeah. I'm going to go hire one of them. I'll pay them 1.4 times the minimum wage. Oh, no. And they love it. That's a 40% wage increase for them. There's a 40%. I've got 4,000 people right now that I could give, I could just find one of them, give them a 40% wage increase. You're out of here. I save money. They're happy. What do I Wait, care? But if you're going to give them, yeah, okay. I'm paying them yeah. less. I would pay them less than I pay you. Yeah. And they would take it. Why? Because they're only making the minimum wage. If I went to them and said, hey, come on, let's get a 40% wage increase. They'd be like, yeah. I'd like 40%. Who wouldn't want 40% higher wages? I just feel like we could talk this out. And so that that is like right away you look at this like this is nuts. This yeah, th- yeah. that's exactly yeah. how it's going to play out because and 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 not only is that the case like when you think about it, but I found this paper by Mr. Randy Ray. He's the guy who is the main author on most of JG papers. Mm-hmm. And he says this explicitly. He says, "Look, Just as workers have an alternative to their job through a job guarantee, so do employers have the opportunity of hiring from the job guarantee pool. This is the primary price stabilization feature of the job guarantee program. If the wage demands of workers in the private sector exceed by too great a margin the employer's calculation of their productivity, the alternative is to obtain a job G worker at a markup over the minimum wage. This will help offset the wage pressures caused by the elimination of the fear of unemployment. 
So that's exactly what he's talking about mm-hmm. in this situation. He's saying, just as maybe you could quit and mm-hmm. go to the JG, I can also go to the JG and just get someone out of it and replace you. That's true. So there's no problem here, right? And he, what's funny is he actually uses the concept of a reserve army. And for people who are more sort of left, they understand like the reserve army is supposed to be the like hordes of unemployed people yeah. who are baying at the gates to take your job from you. Mm-hmm. And that's like what keeps you disciplined. Mm-hmm. He actually says, quote, it must be remembered that job guarantee workers are not lost as a reserve army of potential employees. So he's specifically <laughs> saying these JG labor pool is going to be just like the unemployed hordes bang at the gate. Because so all you got to do is pay them a little bit above the minimum wage and they're going to come on board. So they're not a super stable labor force, right? They're not going to stick around in the jobs they have. They're not expected to. They can't, yeah. The wage can't go up. It's just minimum, yeah. So, nah, yeah, I just go to that pool and pull them out. I don't, instead of going to the unemployment office, I go to the now renamed employment office. Yeah. And I just take them and S- I replace so you. So it's specifically the case that job guarantee jobs are not meant to be jobs for life. They're supposed to be interim type jobs that you Yeah, or maybe exit. you wind up there for life. But like, but on even if you wage. intended, if you're like, well, I'll, I'll stay here for life. If an employer came to you and said, I'll pay you 40% more yeah. if you come work here. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Yeah. And and then what was also really wild about this paper is he specifically says that the job guarantee labor pool that that set up, instead of having unemployed people who receive unemployment benefits, yeah. the JG setup is actually going to be easier for employers to mm-hmm. replace people and to threaten their employers, employees, yeah. and to go to them and say, hey, I'll go get a JG guy tomorrow. I'll get a JG guy tomorrow and your ass will be out of here. He's right. saying that's going to be way easier for employers to do. Than getting unemployed Than people? being like, I'm going to go get an unemployed person. And the reason why, and this is sort of blew my mind when I first read it, because yeah. the rhetoric in the take sphere is totally opposite. He says, look, unemployed people, you know, they're not working. It's yeah. going to be harder to get someone and say, hey, I need you to come work. Yeah. Than it is someone who you're forcing to work. Yeah. Assuming the unemployed person is getting paid benefits or whatever, which they do in our system, not great. So you're benefits, saying someone on a job guarantee is already habituated to labor. They're already habituated to labor, so that makes it easier for you to be like, oh, well, they could work. But also, it's like, what is that? It's like, well, I'm, I'm either going to work here, or I'm going to work there. Like, it's still work, 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 work. The unemployed person can kind of be like, you know what? I don't want to work. Yeah. <laughs> and so he actually says it's going to make it easier for employers to undermine the wage demands of their private workers. And you can, I guess, believe or disbelieve this. To me, it seems insane to suggest that a guaranteed minimum wage job is going to provide leverage to anyone who's making significantly above the minimum wage, which is virtually all the workers in the economy. To me, that seems wild on its face. And then, of course, they're not saying that in their own writing. Um, But if you're going to represent them and say this is what the JG people say you sh- you have to say this you can't just then fill in this thing that is sort of memed through the take sphere you have to say this is what they say it's interesting that this policy has like there's like um it's oftentimes a case where like when you talk about a policy there's a range of things that could happen you know so like when you talk about I don't know you know free daycare and the fertility rate you're like well it might not go up at all might go up a little bit um but typically 
you don't see people say, like, no, it's either going to drop by 50% or increase by 50%. <laughs> but with the JG, you do see people suggesting completely opposite effects. Like you, you have advocates out there being like, it'll make it easier for employers. It'll be uh, only that much easier to bring on new employees. And then you have people saying this is going to make it hell in private industry. Uh, this will drive wages way up. This will keep wages depressed. I mean, like you have opposite effects yes. argued for the same exact policy, which is pretty rare. Right. Opposite effects and then also kind of effects all over the board. I mean, and, and, and right, in not some like ways, a small, tight range of effects, but like, but like completely opposite. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I mean, I, I've kind of learned a little bit, I guess, by sort of watching this thing unfold, because I actually think that's one of its main political benefits. It is a it is a well designed political idea because oh, yeah, one of its advantages. Yeah, as a policy, yeah, yeah, because of because its vagueness has allowed people to read into it whatever they want, you get a lot of unity from that. Yeah. Because you have people who, who one thinks that this program is going to make it easier for employers to fire people and to keep wage inflation down, and one thinks it's going to do the opposite, mm -hmm. and they're both unified in their love of job guarantee. And you're like, that's genius. I mean, you got two people who believe exact opposite things who, when they say job guarantee, are referring to opposite things or things that are very different in their own mind, but who feel unified. And that, it, it, it reminds me in many ways of, uh, from what I remember of like the 2008 Obama situation. <laughs> because, you know, I was, you know, yeah. I was politically aware at that moment. And I, and I, I noticed that, you know, people kind of, he was very good at kind of being like, well, you know, I support change and change we believe in. And, and he, he allowed himself to be an empty vessel that people could kind of pour their hopes into and pour their visions into. Um, and that was really effective. Yeah, you, you want to be all things to all people uh, if that's possible and if no one will call you on it. I... I so, so, so one question I have, I guess, and, and I suppose that uh, other people listening to the JIR session will probably have is, uh, is it possible to know which of the effects is more likely? I mean, is there any modeling going on or? I mean, uh, I, yeah, I don't know how you would model. Are there, are there like any kind of exactly. studies? I mean, uh, we have all of these predictions going on and since they're so opposite, someone will probably want some kind of quantitative insight into what's more likely. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen someone try to come up with like a coefficient of these sorts of things. Uh, Have there been like case studies? Anything in the, is is not any on this particular marshaled? question that I have seen, yeah. not cited in the papers that I've read. Um, but but the other thing here is, it's not even an empirical thing, and, and I, th I think this is another key a key part of it that that people really sort of you know again it's like makes me sort of uh, <laughs> yeah nutty is. Uh, so, so let's take a step back. What it what is the job guarantee? P what is it supposed to be doing for the people who kind of who have been advocating it for for a long time? Okay. What they notice is, in our current economy, right? If unemployment gets too low, then you have a problem where wages start to run up too quickly, and if wages run up too quickly, that creates an unsustainable situation. And eventually, like, you're going to have inflation problems, and it's just, it's not going to be able to last forever. It's a problem. Yep. And the way we kind of deal with this right now, implicitly, is we say, well, okay, we're going to 
inst- we're going to target 4% unemployment or 3% unemployment. That way you, you, you don't let unemployment get too low. And so you, you kind of have that reserve army keeping down the wages, right? And so what the job guarantee people were saying was, we have a way where you can employ those 3% or 4% that you're keeping unemployed right now without risking wage inflation. We have a way to solve that problem, right? But think about that. The only way you're solving that problem, because the problem is that if labor markets get too tight, wage demands get too, too excessive, right? Mm-hmm. The only way you can solve that problem is if your program does not cause wage demands to get too excessive, right. which is to say it doesn't cause the thing that people are saying it's supposed to cause. That's the only way it solves the problem that they say they're trying to solve. And that's what they say is going to happen in their papers, in their academic papers. They say, of course, this is not going to run up wages because it's not going to give workers any more leverage than they already have because these are going to be minimum wage workers, et cetera, et cetera. And so if that is false, if it is false that it's not going to run up wages and it's not going to increase leverage and that sort of thing, then the program fails because you're going to have the wage push inflation that is the reason why we create unemployment in the first place. You're going to create, recreate that problem, which is that when unemployment gets too low, wage inflation gets out of control. You, you will have recreated that, which was what you were supposed to solve, right? So, like, internally, it can't be that they're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, it, that, it, that it, it can't internally work that way, or the program is a failure at its stated purpose, which is to find a way to get to 0% unemployment without causing wage inflations. Those are your options. Yeah. So if it's not true, I guess what I'd say is within their own framework, what they're saying is the program is trash and you've got to get rid of it because it's going to create an unsustainable inflationary spiral and we can't have that. Right? Like that's what their own framework would say if that empirical claim is untrue. This is by your own logic. Yes. So either the program doesn't give them leverage or the program shouldn't exist. That is within their own sort of reasoned framework about what the JG is trying to do. And yet, in the take sphere, in this totally parallel reality. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the take sphere is its own universe, as we've discussed. And the other, I'll, I'll just say one more thing. Okay. Again, is this about a separate jeer? It's the same sort of, it's another sort of uh, point three or point four on this. Under the job guarantee jeer? Yes. Okay. They talk about in their own writing, at the JG as a buffer stock, okay? And I, I don't know if anyone has read this or is familiar with this, right? But this, again, is another one of those things where you're like, if you ever saw this for a second, I have no idea why you are writing this, that the stuff that people are writing, that's driving me sort of nuts. Mm. What is a buffer stock? A buffer stock typically is something like, um, let's think of like, uh, the strategic oil reserves, okay? So the government owns a bunch of oil that, like, it just sort of stockpiles. And if prices get too high, they'll release it. Is that true? Yeah, they call the strategic oil reserves. Okay. I don't know how much they use them these days, but it was a th- it was, yeah, but they, they still exist. That's cool. But the idea is that the government can kind of stockpile commodities. Yeah, that makes sense. And if prices get too high, yeah, then they'll release them, and that will keep the price stable for everyone else. And if prices get too low, they might buy some more. And so you can kind of keep 
You see what I'm saying? You can kind of keep the price where you want it to be by using this buffer stock yeah. where you buy a commodity or you let commodity out. It's not unlike the bumper crop. I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's, no, no. Okay. Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. And so they say that the job guarantee is like a buffer stock for labor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. right. And so if it's a buffer stock for labor, then the point is that it's going to stabilize the price of labor. So how does it stabilize the price of labor? Well, if, if, if uh, the private sector is putting off a lot of workers and that sort of yeah. thing, JG buys the workers up. Just yeah. like you might buy the oil up because the price is going down. Yeah. And if prices in the private market are, are starting to go up, which is to say wage demands are starting to go up, they're going to release the workers yeah. into, the, into the private sector, which will push the wage Wages back down. down. It is a price stabilization thing. That is their own analogy. Price stabilization means the wages are not going to go up. Right, means so it can't push wages up if the whole point is to be a buffer stock. Is to be right? a buffer stock. Is to say when right. it, when the prices go up, we release laborers we're, back we're into like the market. acting to achieve this homeostasis, so then they're not going to drive the temp up on wages. Yes, yeah. and they're all writing using the concept of a buffer stock, which no. is a well-known commodity price stabilization. Like, you know, this is not, I'm not... So there's, there's clearly some kind of um, either coordinated or uncoordinated... Uh, dissonance between what the economists and the technicians of the JG are saying and what like the political salesmen are saying. Yes. <laughs> like, there's quite yes. a bit of dissonance, which might, might be intentional and it might be uh, just a difference of interpretation on the same policy, uh, which does happen occasionally. Uh, but there's obviously a difference. There is a disconnect, right. And the, the yeah. academic stuff makes way more sense. Yeah. Like you look at it and you're like, yep, yep, yep. It's much higher quality. And you, you kind of look at it, but uh, you know, and then you're like, yep, yep, yep. But that kind of sounds like a shitty program. Yeah. There's <laughs> just, so there's just, there's a, there's a good piece to be written about, uh, you know, the, the difference between the, uh, you know, the sort of many lives of the job guarantee in the, in its academic life, it's this one thing. And then, in, in, and then it's public life. It's this very different thing. Um, right. Which is an interesting quality that, you know, is might be maybe just politics at work, um, but that's an interesting analysis. Thank you for that four-part jeer. Thank you. I've got so many more jeers. I know but you have I more. I feel jeers. like you should do a jeer. No, no, I'm going to do a cheer. Oh, oh. Okay. I'm going to fill in the cheers between the jeers. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I think that. Uh, so I'm. I watched. We've watched. We've watched so many kids' movies lately. We've watched so many kids' movies. Um, well, we watch the same kid movies like over, over and over again. again. <laughs> it's just like, like five movies, really. I was never a kids movies person. For some reason, when I started getting into political writing, like um, there was a bunch of stuff about Disney princesses on the internet for a while that was political. I don't understand. Oh, on Tumblr, there still was is. Was that where that came from? Well, it, it's part of the like um, poptimism um, trend where yeah. it was like, you know what's really... Um, renegade and rebel and with the people is I'm going to write seriously about sort of what we usually think of as kind of like, I don't know, fluffy, silly entertainment, like a pop star or I do a that. movie or whatever. I'm, ar I'm part of that. I, I consider myself part of that. Yeah, I'm not against it, but yeah. I'm just, that, that's I'm my of sense that. of where, where I it like came from. I apparently tweeted for like four hours last night about Star Wars. I had no recollection of that this morning. But I looked on my TL and that's what happened. So, well, you know. So anyway, I'm apparently part of this as well. But anyway, I never really knew what was up with that. Um, I was not a big Disney movies person. I couldn't follow Disney movies. When well, I was you, a you kid. can't. 
I follow them now, no, but we do but watch like, them about a hundred times. You can't have a, there's like, there's a bigger, there's a bigger story there. Matt doesn't like follow narratives. I struggle with them unless they're short. They got to be really short. Very short and a very linear plot. Yeah. I don't like when the plot <laughs> just, just let's get to our destination. I don't want to go veer <laughs> off in a different direction. People need to look directly into the camera and state their motivations out loud. <laughs> well, it's just cause you know, I watch some of these sagas that are like, Oh, you can watch uh, 40 episodes. We watched of, the last kingdom. Yeah. And Matt was like, there's too much plot. Well, it, it just is back and forth and back and forth. Oh, he, you know, two steps forward, one step forward, two steps back. And That's it's like, life, I want to go forward. I want you to, you know, <laughs> or the other one we watched, which is basically plot. the same thing, but told more from like the Viking perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vikings. I think and they're like, called. oh, we got this new plot of land and we're going to like ship some Vikings over. Oh, and it's no. going to be great. It all goes to goes go sideways. It's going to be great because we, we're kind of overcrowded and, and yeah. our people will have this plot of land in the UK where yeah. they can farm and it'll be great. And then, you know, it took like eight episodes for them to get that plot of land. I was like, great. This is awesome. They got a new little town where they're farming <laughs> and stuff. And then the Brits just come and just destroy it. Yeah, that really did like, a number on you. Eight episodes to get this farm I going, remember. and now it's gone. <sighs> I, you know, that was like you pretty much tapped out of that whole. That was series. it. I was I was done yeah, after that. I was like, if done. you got rid of the farm that I spent eight episodes constructing, you know, <laughs> then I'm done. Like, nope. No. I'm not going to take this shit from you. I want to see how the farm time. does. I want to see if it's productive. You know, does it? Does, you know, I want. That's what I want to see. Did you ever play those video games where you made little towns and things? Uh, well, I played some SimCity, but not too much. Like they have ones where you can do like you can make uh, amusement parks. Yeah, that's uh, roller coaster um, tycoon, and then you can yeah, roller coaster tycoon. You can <laughs> you can make zoos. You can make a zoo. <laughs> I think I did play roller. I, I didn't have these games. Roller coaster tycoon was so fun. You could put people on the roller coaster and then like join its ends together so they could never get off. <laughs> yeah, you could launch them and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it's, it was a good game. You could I put suppose. like do not enter signs at the exits and trap them in the park forever. I mean, I was always really goofy on it, but I can imagine you getting really into the like actually trying to set up a production. Oh, no, yeah. City. No, the only thing I remember or one of the things I really remember from I didn't play very much of it. Uh, I don't even, I think I had a free trial version or whatever. That's really sad, Matt. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but how much ice you put in the drinks was a thing. Yeah. And no, like but you, I could you see needed you. needed to calibrate that at the right level. Because if you put a lot of ice in it, you could save money because you were using ice instead of soda. But if you put very little ice in it. But if you did that, people kind of got mad because they're like, where's the soda? It's all ice. Yeah. But if you put no ice in it, now you're just, you're just losing a bunch of money. But then afterwards, I kind of thought that's not really true. The soda doesn't really cost more than the ice, does it? I mean, the soda is dirt cheap. But anyways, I, that, I remember that aspect of the ice level. But while you were making that calculation in the game, did your little brain just light up like a Christmas tree? You know, it's an interesting question. Yeah. How <laughs> much ice should there be? You got you to gotta balance um, profit <laughs> against customer satisfaction. That's, you know, and you got to find that sweet spot. I'm going to get you one of those games. And a little computer to play it on. I mean, Jane will never see you again. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to avoid getting into video games again. I, I stopped playing video games when I was like 15 or 16. Because yeah. 
my console broke and that's probably the only reason that you got into college no i mean but i do worry about you know because the games can be addicting they can be addicting and they're more addictive now than they've ever been so i try to avoid things that can get me hooked you know i feel like a lot of them are also unfairly targeted at people like you I don't know about that. I think that might be the case. Anyway, I was talking about Disney movies. And so I wanted to cheer I wanted to cheer a few of them that are actually good now that I've seen them. Okay. I don't actually remember what all of them are called. Moana is a very good movie. Yeah, it's good. It's it, it drags on a little bit, but It's so cute though. The part where they're dealing with like the coconuts, I think I could get rid of that. What at the beginning? No, with the like deadly coconuts. Oh, the 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 Kokomora thing. Yeah. Yeah, the but they're cute. Yeah. Well, they seem like they were for merch, but like, yeah, Jane doesn't seem to get a lot out of that part. Yeah, uh-huh. I would cut that part and just keep going. The crab, the the tomatoa is adorable. <coughs> it's a good movie. I wanted to say cheers for it. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Belkin sucks. Yeah. She sucks. But otherwise, like, and I feel like the mirror is, like, kind of a questionable, like, piece of plotting that just, like, I feel like you could just take that whole segment out, like, if I was editing. But, like, whatever. She's, like, I feel like Jane likes it because it's a very colorful thing. And there's, like, she seems to like the singing furniture and teacups and stuff. I'm in favor of that one. Uh, Pocahontas is really good, guys. Very good. Good songs. Yeah, the songs are good, and it's well animated. It, it, it's, you know, it's very artsy in the way that it's animated. Yeah, like it's you done get very these well. Really stark colors and stuff, as opposed to kind of quasi-realistic animation like you get now. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and the um, she watches this show about horses. Spirit. That's yeah. not Disney. I think that's DreamWorks. Yeah, it's fine, I guess, and um. Yeah, those are all good. Those are all good. What is what else is she into right now? Boss She'll baby. That's DreamWorks. That's god awful. Yeah, I don't that's like really it. It's really bad. It's really stupid. What I hate most about Boss Baby is it it delivers the implication to Jane that we could stop loving her. Cause this kid is voiced by Alec Baldwin, I think, and is like super paranoid about the parents not loving him anymore. And I hate that that's being supplied to Jane as a real possibility. Well, he he's not concerned about the parents. I don't know. Maybe it turns this way because I get really distracted in it. But in theory, he he doesn't even have parents, the boss baby, because he gets selected right up from the get go and doesn't get to go to a family. He's the management of the baby corporation. And his job is he's kind of like a monk almost like. He he's separate from real babies who have real families, but he's here fighting for the real babies who have real families. So it's not that he's worried he won't be loved. It's that he's just trying to keep babies in general loved across across the you know world. Well, that's a really interesting analysis of monasticism. But I think that what I'm talking about is Jane interpreting what this means for her as a baby. Yeah, if she could understand, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, there's a baby corporation that has to assure that I am loved. I'm like, no, there's no fucking corporation making me love you. There's no fucking 
business. Not that you know of. I mean, they have no, there's in not. There is not. And I don't want her to think that's a horrible thing to make a kid think. And it's like, I don't know what went into this, this horrible, horrible program. It's terrible. It's worse. Well, that's part of it. But that's, it's sort of jokey. In that but it's sense. not funny. It's stupid. It's yeah, weird. I don't, I, I haven't been able to really Dude, watch Dude, you know what's really through, good is the one where Elmo runs a shitty hotel. I don't like that. No, that one as genuinely owns. Uh, I don't. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like Elmo and his it's like family. The Furstenbergs. Or something. <laughs> they, it's like it's like Wes Anderson for kids. They like run this weird ass hotel in the middle of New York, and their whole thing is that it's just a terrible hotel. It's like the Hotel New Hampshire, just without all the sex and incest. It's like, uh, you know, come to this hotel where the doors don't have keys and stuff, and like you know, Elmo, the owner's weird nephew, just like bunks up with you unexpectedly and whatever. And we got zoo animals wandering around. Like if Wes Anderson made a real life movie of this, people would be like, this is completely expected from Wes Anderson. Yeah. I mean, I actually have only seen maybe 10 minutes of it. So, well, like once you really start to let it boil your brain, it's really, you just kind of have to let go and get a little weird. And if you get into it, it's there's some dark stuff going on. It's actually like kind of enjoyable. I'm also watching uh, without Matt, who doesn't watch my prestige stuff with me. Sharp Objects, listeners, with Amy Adams. Baby is not watching that. Uh, I wanted to give that a cheer. I think that's uh, it's going good. All right. Well, cheers to TV and movies. Cheers to TV and uh, and movies. Uh, and you had another. Uh, I think you got another jeer on you. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which of the other jeers I have that yeah, I should go with. Keep it simple this time. Should I go with the... Um, there were so many prongs on that jeer. Economic index, but that's the point. That's the point. There's so many prongs, and yet people are still missing it. There's the buffer stock. The name itself the tells you. The buffer stock. The name itself the tells you. The buffer stock paradox. <laughs> the name itself tells you what's going on. <laughs> I just want everyone to know, Matt, he got a little sunburn playing b-ball today, but he's also getting very red talking about this. No, it's all sunburn. No, it's definitely some anger. Okay, so I want to talk about economic freedom indexes again. Okay. We talked about this briefly in another episode where we are talking about how they measure regulation which is not how normal people would ever think about regulation. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at this other one. Someone sent it to me, the Fraser Institute, which I mentioned in our first uh, episode where we talked about this. And again, the way these economic freedom things are um, cited is they're like capitalist versus socialist, right? If you're more free, that means more capitalism. If you're less free, that means less capitalism. And the problem that I keep running into when I actually go and try to figure out how are they calculating this stuff is they include all these elements that have nothing to do with capitalism or socialism, and they exclude elements that have a lot to do with them. All right, so hit me with some that have nothing to do with it. Okay, so in this Fraser Institute one, they have this section called Legal System and Property Rights. Yeah. Okay. A, 2A under this, mm-hmm. judicial independence, right? So do you have an independent judiciary? That What does that have to do with capitalism or socialism? If I, so a socialist state 
that had an independent judicial system, that's capitalism now. What, 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 that's just pick unrelated. Now, I understand what they're getting at in yeah. a sense. If you're not really thinking capitalist or socialist, you're saying, you're, what you're saying is uh, an independent judiciary is important for you know, all sorts of yeah. business-related reasons. But independent judiciary is important for all sorts of non-business-related reasons. And like, <laughs> what does it mean that I have an independent judiciary? Well, how does that, what does that mean for whether I have collective ownership of the means of production or anything like that? Under the same heading, B, impartial courts. Impartial court. If you have impartial courts, yeah. that's capitalism. If you have partial courts, that's socialism. Because like after Marx, when he was writing, he was like, you got to have partial courts. Well, that's... Uh, courts got to be biased. Like, <laughs> what does that have to do? Another that, one. That means Twitter is socialist because it's not an impartial court. Military interference in rule of law and politics. Yeah, what? Well, so is that the social yeah. socialists are like what we need? We need the military <laughs> to run the government. So they're con they're conflating authoritarian with socialism. They're basically. conflating authoritarianism, yeah. and they're also just conflating just uh, like kind just of sort of good governance stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ru like rule of law. Like you could imagine, yes. like you could have a socialist society where you had a legal system and stated laws that you follow. You know, another e integrity of the legal system. If the legal system has to not have integrity. That's that's what socialism is. The legal system doesn't have integrity. We could point out plenty of failed states that are <laughs> that have screwed up legal systems that are corrupt without integrity. That we, you would be a madman to describe as socialist. Reliability of police. We're already socialist, fam. <laughs> So, yeah, so the, you know what? Socialists are always saying the police need to be unreliable. You definitely need to be able to bribe the police. Socialists are real into being able to bribe the police. It's like, what? That's just not. The last one is also, they, they describe it as business costs of crime, which I think is just like they figure out, you know, let's assess all the crime and like what effect that had on businesses. But I mean, it's essentially an indicator of, of crime, right? The business cost of crime is going to be closely related it's to the amount of crime. crime. Yeah. So, so socialism is when you have a lot of crime, yeah. And capitalism is when you have very little crime, yeah. They're just they're, <laughs> they're just selecting for states. good governance, yeah, right? right. Yep. And so it's like, so necessarily, if you have a country that is socialistic in the sense that they have a lot of public ownership of capital and that sort of stuff, but they run well and the police are not taking bribes and there's not a lot of crime and they have a, like, a well-functioning legal system. Right. If, if it works and it, like, it's going pretty good, then they get tagged as capitalists because capitalism is being defined in all these irrelevant ways that basically just amount to, is the country good? Right. Is it stable? Is it functioning? Yeah, and like I, you know, it's just that's in, that's is very irritating because then people are like, well, actually, it's capitalist. Did you know? It's like, well, yeah, because your index of capitalism, ninety percent of it is just does it do good things? Right. Is it a functional state? <laughs> yeah. So you defining dysfunctionality. You literally defining socialism as a country with a lot of crime, where you can bribe the police and the military uh, constantly interferes with government. Yeah, that's what you're defining socialism as. Yeah, and so 
yeah socialist of course it sucks. of course socialism sucks in that definition yeah, yeah. no i mean and and uh, you know there are plenty of states that you could describe you know so russia is currently a socialist paradise uh i'm not even sure they're high in military interference but i mean certain states in the union <laughs> at least meet a couple of those criteria now and then and it's so easy to say, all right, well, if you take all of these indices and you paint a portrait of the kind of country they're pointing towards, it's not actually the ones that you describe as socialist, or, or at least the socialism is not what meaningfully unites them here. It's it's, it's being failed states. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty unfortunate. But pe people don't look into the methodologies of the stuff they're using. No. Not at all. Which is w weird to me because, I mean... Well, they don't expect anyone else to either. I guess, but like, to me, if you're going to say, if you're just going to give a number for economic yeah. freedom, the very first thing to me is, where, how? How? <laughs> how are you going to tell me? How are you going to quantify freedom across hundreds of countries? Quantify it. That To me, that's nuts, right? Okay, so let's see how they did it. Let me see. Well, let's dig in. And, but other people's like, oh no, they did it. They did it. Yep, eighty-five freedom. Eighty-five freedom. I'm like, okay. Yeah. All right. Anyways, that's all I have on that. That's the gear. Economic freedom indexes. They're trash. Yeah. So what? Uh, what have you got? A cheer. Okay. Um. Well, I had to think of one. I did really like Star Wars Hour. I look back. We had a good time. We all talked about Star Wars on Twitter. People asked me why we didn't do a Star Wars discussion on the podcast, and there actually is in the vault uh, a Brunig Star Wars podcast that was that will never be released until we're both dead. Oh, why well, it's deleted? I mean, it's no, it's in the vault. Okay, it's in the vault. I guess. Yeah, it's in the vault. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the vault, and. Uh, Basically, uh, we were going to do it because everyone liked the Harry Potter one. Um, and so I was like, well, why, we'll do kind of like a spin on that. And we'll just kind of have Matt who has Matt knows nothing about the Star Wars franchises like the the first, you know, three. He's never seen one except the two that I made him watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I watched the two new ones and we tried to do it and it wasn't good. So I was like, Matt has no familiarity with these like super famous pop cultural figures like Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, or Han I Solo. Know I mean, you know, Chewbacca. I've seen them. I, 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 you know, but like it wasn't like Harry Potter where it really was like because it's so suffuse. Um, and so I was like, you know, Matt doesn't know this story very well and he's never seen the actual Star Wars movies. So we'll watch the new ones and then we'll talk about his impressions. But the new movies have so many problems <laughs> that Matt's impressions were like, I don't know. I really don't know what's going on. Everyone seems fine. Uh, seems all right. Uh, hope everyone turns out okay. Yeah, it was just, it oh, was this it. seems fine. I mean, it was yeah, fine. It was, it was good fine. entertainment, I it guess. It was fine. Yeah, it wasn't good. I mean, I agree with you. It was terrible. But uh, so that's why that one didn't, uh, that's why that one didn't hit the shelves, but you can get that, uh, private secret content. It, it honestly is deleted. And gone. It's in the vault. And, um, so 
Uh, nonetheless, I, I like the I like the Star Wars films. I mean, while we're just on the topic of fun stuff to do in the summer, you know, I also went to a sculpture place today that was very nice when I was picking up that other thing. I uh, I went down by uh, CUA, and I was looking in a. It was like a small store, and the 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 the, the, the lady who makes the pottery and the sculpture, she was in there. I talked to her for a little bit. I just, she had some small planters that, by the way, you could hang. Well, there you go. So bring it all the way around. I just enjoyed that as well, and I also thought that was very nice. But, I mean, I know where you stand on that, but I also thought that was very nice. Well, that's good. I'm glad you met a friend. She does beautiful work. Can you imagine how much... That would take so much bravery to, like, hand-make pottery and sculpture and then put it out there in front of the public for people to come in and they size I mean, your work what, up? We're podcasting. I mean, it's sort of the same thing. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't... I'm not like sitting behind a counter as someone starts up the podcast, listens to five minutes and is like, this is super dumb and turns it off. But like you stand there and people come in and look at your stuff and pick it up and they put it down and they're like, never mind, not worth it. And you like watch that happen. That's like, that's more self-esteem than I have. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah, but we get comments, you know, but you're right. It is hard. or It can be if you It care. must be really hard. Anyway, uh, do you have another jeer? I think that's probably it for the jeers. Is that probably it for the jeers? I wanted to think of some other Twitter cheers. Uh, I think we should start regularly doing shout outs for good tweets. Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm not on Twitter that much anymore. Oh. I mean, I am. I am. But, you know. But I'm not also. <laughs> okay. No, nah, you know. I'm just saying I won't be able. You, you'll see a lot more of them than I am. I, I actually there was a really good tweet this week. <laughs> well, I, I was, probably shouldn't share it. I was trying to it. tee that up for you. <laughs> oh, you won't be, no, I can't. Okay. No, that, it's too. Okay. It's too. It's too spicy. Oh yeah, people. The, the uh, tweet was too spicy. There are um, a lot of really good tweets out there. There that, are uh, very good tweets out there <laughs> that I, I now have to avoid uh, retweeting and that sort of thing. Yeah, I shouldn't encourage you because I'm the one who told you to start shaping up or shipping out where it came to twitter <laughs> so i shouldn't encourage you to once i hit the lottery though i'm gonna start retweeting all these You're tweets that i just i just catalog and say wow these are really good <laughs> right you're just now. sitting on all your problematic faves <laughs> you know what also cheers to equilibrium i feel like it's a really underappreciated movie i know you haven't seen it um it's a great film. It's a great sci-fi film. Uh, I feel like this is the point in the summer. We're at the horrible point in the summer where it's really, really hot and Pete starts making people crazy. That's why Matt's super aggro in this cast. Uh, it's just too hot. And people start going nuts. And no, I do, I do have a headache from from. I'm telling you, I'm not. But I'm, that wasn't a heat it may have been some heat it was just not exertion even shitting you this is the summer of sam point in the summer where everyone's a little well, crazy we know i mean vi crime spikes in the crime summer spikes people don't feel well it's heat really is hot really bad on you it, it it messes with your like have you seen some of these studies where they yeah. show that people you know when kids take tests their the test scores are like significantly affected by the outside temperature yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely the case. So this is the point in the summer where people start to get way overheated and they get real crazy and they and people's s s surreal colors blend together. 
Uh, it's just a very sensory overload, intense time to be alive. And uh, so I just want to counsel everyone to stay calm, stay cool, stay hydrated. Um, it's, you know, NASA has studied uh, plants that actually remove harmful chemicals from the air. And uh, you can look those studies up and see that uh, that houseplants do wonderful things for us, actually, and uh, clean the air, help you out when it's hot outside. You want some nice, refreshing air. Um, peace lily is actually very good for that. We have a peace lily. Yeah, get some plants, I guess. Yeah, you can hang them. Hang them, put them in a pot on the shelf, or however you want to do it. And just make sure that you're drinking a lot of water and staying off Twitter. Yeah. Try not to be too impulsive, I guess. Keep your head. It's hard, though. It, can it be is hard. hard. It can be really hard. But That's just my two cents. I'm signing off. All right. So I'm going to sign off as well. You have a sign off. What's yours? Um, that's the way it is. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>